Welcome, everyone. Welcome. My name's Deborah Lennis. I'm a very, 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 very proud Durable woman, a local elder. I'm also the cultural advisor at Inner West Council. These podcasts are about history and learning where you live, what you can do. And as I often say, Australia has, yes, a very black history, but there is no white history. What we have is a shared history. So, on behalf of the Gadigal and Wongal peoples of the Eora Nation, I'd like to say, Birrawagal, Naninya, Birrawagal, welcome, everyone, welcome. Sydney, capital of New South Wales. Sydney's story is full of unique things. Building a bridge in Sydney, over a harbour too. Famous things. And overlooking the famous harbour, Sydney Opera House. Iconic things. One of Australia's most iconic landmarks, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Tall things. Sydney Tower, the instantly recognisable soaring symbol has changed names. Oh, I remember this. I know a place... Hang on a minute. Why does the harbour hog all the icons? This is Inner West Icons, the other side of Sydney. I'm Bernie Hobbs, long time, long time Inner Westie. Come with me to the Inner West, Gadigal Wongal country. This episode's icon is Callan Park in Roselle. It's where you'll find Callan Park Hospital for the insane, closed but still standing. It's the Inner West's biggest green space and it's got a chequered history. Callum Park is a site of horror and a site of healing. Find out why this spot was chosen for mental health. You know, you got better by doing, by being in nature. How green therapy came and went. When I first came here, you weren't allowed to be on the grass. How community fights to keep it going. This place has got social function. We don't want it abandoned. Because the quality of our parks matters. There's a big gap between the children who live with high quality and low quality green space regarding their mental health well-being. Well, Cullen Park must be one of the most beautiful landscapes in Sydney. Hall Greenland is the president of the community group Friends of Callan Park. So, naturally, he's a fan. It's a horseshoe-shaped valley, if you like. It runs down to Sydney Harbour. There's a kilometre of harbour foreshore. It's dotted with remarkable uh, heritage buildings. It's just a most extraordinary landscape. You won't find the like of it anywhere, I think, probably in Australia. Because it it is a colonial estate that is still intact and available. It is a pretty amazing place. Callan Park has more tree species than Central Park in New York. At 61 hectares, or 125 acres, it's the size of a small suburb. Camperdown, Ultimo, Birchgrove, I'm looking at you. You know, it was carved out of Gadigal and Wongal lands and I don't think we can ever forget that. I'll get you to spread out just in here. So does anybody know any of the plants at all? So what about 
this big one up above. Drew Roberts is a tour guide with Shared Knowledge Cultural Centre in Sydney. He's taking us on an Aboriginal cultural tour in the remnant native bush at Callan Park. So I'm from the Yarako Bundjalung, which means that I come from the black sand of the saltwater nation. And everyone's used to seeing this growing? Golden wattle. We call it black wattle. This plant would have been of vital use around here. So I'm just collecting the leads. If you were to collect some and use it, you wash yourself with this and then the ticks will die and fall off you. Oh, that is great information. Yeah. So anyone go bushwalking? Yes. Yeah. I grew up with us being washed with this, A, for the, the ticks, but B, to also mask our scent when we're walking through country. So fold it, the leads into a ball and put it in your hand and hold him, hold him down really tight so it's all wrapped up. And then you rub around and around and around. It should feel a little bit tacky. And you add a little bit of water and you keep rubbing. Oh, wow. So, has anyone been able to get the soap? Keep going. I grew up with this like most people grew up with Clearasil. This will actually get rid of lines, wrinkles, rosacea, eczema. It's got so many usages. Once you rinse, you'll notice how soft your hands are. Okay, imagine that on your face. This is the reason my 80-year-old aunties look like as if they're 40. <laughs> so this tree is actually one of the defining trees for country golden wattle. It's just getting ready to actually come back into flower, so that means the whales are actually going to be here. This is the tree that actually tells me when it's possible to eat oysters, when it's possible to eat pippies, and the fish have come out of the Parramatta River and come into the ocean, and they'll get the black weed and the dirt out of them, so then they no longer taste like mud. I look good with my spears going on country, but I really don't do that much, okay? It's like most cultures, women get the majority of food. So this tree we actually call mother tree because she'll tell you what to do, tell you what to eat, clean you, and, and help you be able to eat like your mother does. So prior to colonisation, Callum Point was a major site for families. Deborah Lennis is the cultural advisor for Inner West Council. And the families she's talking about are families of the Gadigal and Wongal people of the Eora Nation. They've lived in what we call the Inner West for at least 20,000 years. So we do a lot of the fishing, usually in our bark canoes, or the Nawi. The family would sit at the top of the point and stories, songs, movement, help catch more fish, you know, and things like that. The younger ones and the teenagers would be up there. Mum out there fishing, bring it in, sit up there. So there's a lot of midden sites up there. 
Those Callan Park middens are over four and a half thousand years old. They're coastal middens made of the remains of shellfish. Shellfish like mussels, dalgull, and rock oyster, badunji, in the Darug language of the Sydney Basin. Dalgull and badunji were caught and eaten in the same place year after year. Middens were often huge, metres tall and hundreds of metres wide. It was the makers of those Callan Park middens, the Wongal people, who encountered the British First Fleet on their land on the 5th of February 1788. Less than a year later, smallpox hit. The Wongal people who survived both worked with and resisted colonisation. The British camp at Sydney Cove expanded and became Sydney Town. The colonists claimed the middens at Callan Park and middens all along Sydney Harbour foreshore. Why? Well, brick buildings need lime mortar. And shell was the main ingredient. Convicts worked in shell gangs, hauling and crushing shells, which were then burnt to make lime. Forty years after settlement, shell gangs of over 30 men were still collecting shells from Callan Park foreshore at Iron Cove. Historian Rosalind Burge says the middens of the Eora Nation built Sydney. Wongal land was taken and given to settlers as land grants. Callan Park was a series of gentlemen's estates. Then a bloke called Frederick Norton Manning came into the picture. His whole Greenland. Frederick Norton Manning, who was the master of lunacy or whatever his title was in the early in the late 1860s and early 1870s. Dr. Manning was not actually called the master of lunacy, but his official title was only slightly better. Inspector General of the Insane. Now, Manning was not your typical insane inspector. In 1867, he was asked to run Sydney's lunatic asylum, using the language of the time, at Gladesville. Manning took the job on one condition. He said he would like to go on a world tour and see what they were doing elsewhere. Ah, junkets. They're as old as bureaucracy itself. That's author and historian Rosalind Burge. She's giving a tour for Friends of Callan Park. He went to institutions from Prussia across America Amazing. It was amazing. He visited and took copious notes on 67 mental asylums across Europe and America. Come to the asylum. Come to the asylum. So there's a reason so many horror movies are set in old, abandoned mental asylums. Many reasons, in fact. Actually, when Manning was doing his Contiki tour of asylums, reform was well underway, both in Europe and the US. And he got to see new, more humane and progressive mental health care. Frederick Norton Manning was a follower of a man called Thomas Kirkbride, an American psychiatric pioneer who believed that wonderful natural landscapes were therapeutic and helped people recover. Hmm. Natural landscapes were therapeutic and helped people recover. Hold on to that thought. 
Manning's big problem um, by the early 1870s was that Tarbon Creek at Gladesville, the uh, asylum there, was incredibly overcrowded and he wanted a new site. Quite by accident, Callum Park came up for sale. James Barnett, the government architect, had come to Callum Park to buy a two-acre allotment for himself. He saw the, the beauty of the site, north-facing, harbour frontage. It occurred to Barnett that this was an ideal site for a new model, humane asylum that his good friend, uh, Frederick Norton Manning, was forever talking about. It was acquired by the government for a new mental asylum that was up to date and, and used the landscape and, and work in order for people to recover. And it was finished by 1885. This extraordinary run of buildings, the largest construction in the colony at the time, the most expensive and the largest designed together by Barnett and Manning. And, I mean, it didn't just stop there because the Charles Moore, who designed botanical gardens, he set out the pleasure gardens at the front with watercourses and, and, and wonderful gardens. And Hang on a minute. Come to the asylum. Watercourses? Pleasure gardens? This is not matching my horror movie. And at the back of the site that runs down to Iron Cove, it was farm. There were dairy cows, there was a piggery, vegetable gardens, and patients were able to work there as well as enjoy the beauty of the, of the pleasure gardens at the front. And that again was part of that therapy about the natural environment. Callan Park Hospital for the Insane wasn't without issues. There was overcrowding, underfunding and understaffing. But its commitment to humane care with patients working and being in nature as part of their treatment continued under Frederick Norton Manning. Green therapy in action. It's all that greenery. See those wonderful hoop pines through there? But I've stopped here because this lady was asking about the, the well, the mopoke, also known as a tawny frogmouth, and they can often be found in these trees. Now, where are you? Oh, yes. Oh, you're, you're in luck. They're beautiful creatures. You can see here a couple of jacarandas. There are 108 jacarandas at Callum Park and Broughton Hall. And Broughton Hall is really the greener spot. So let's head there now. And this property was a private property until 1915, when it was lent by the, the owner, Frederick Langdon, to the government for returning shell-shocked soldiers. Broughton Hall is at the western side of Callan Park. It's a massive house built in 1842, in Regency style which is basically a rectangle with windows, or in architectural terms, simple and elegant. Rosalind Burge. And over here, these are the auxiliary gardens, a place where patients could work in the gardens. And just look as you come along here. Sidney Evan Jones, before drugs, he uh, had all these distractions here at Broughton Hall for the patients. Enter mental health pioneer number two, Sidney Evan Jones. Jones was one of Australia's earliest psychiatrists. As a young doctor, he'd joined Sir Douglas Mawson's Australasian Antarctic expedition in 1911. And his interest in mental health stemmed from that trip where people dealt with paranoia. In 1925, 
Jones was appointed superintendent of Broughton Hall, a separate mental health facility to Callan Park Hospital for the Insane. And treatment-wise, he was on the same page as mental health pioneer number one, Frederick Norton Manning, co-designer of Callan Park. Sydney Evan Jones believed that calming and beautiful surroundings were essential when treating mental health. So he worked, reworked all of these grounds. There were flamingos, and you can still see their feet in the creek, and crocodiles as a distraction, it was said, for patients. No. 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 Repeat, there were no live crocodiles as a distraction for patients. So we're looking for the crocodile. We've had so much rain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he, he is, he's sleeping very quietly. <laughs> and about two years ago, the, the staff were cleaning out the bulrushes down here and found this wonderful creature. Have a look, it's moulded, like it's sculpture. Oh, yes, it's sandstone. We walk down here, there's strands of the rainforest. This is a black bean tree, and there was an article... Rainforest, a crocodile sculpture, flamingos, also not real. The Medical Journal of Australia described the grounds as building hills where none had been, valleys, sunken gardens, streams and bridges, all designed by Sidney Evan Jones for patients in his care to distract, to soothe and to heal. Now, this music you're hearing, it's actually a recruitment ad. They did things a bit differently back then. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tom Jacobs. I'm speaking to you from the gates of Cullen Park Hospital. Here, amidst beautiful surroundings, lives a community of over 1,700 people. People who are sick, mentally sick. People who must have special treatment and care to lift the shadows which have drifted across their lives. We all know ads don't lie. But things at Callan Park Hospital were not quite so rosy. In the 1920s, when Broughton Hall's all rainforests and flamingos, just up the hill at Callan Park Hospital, the standard of care had dramatically dropped. Overcrowding and underfunding got worse. Medical science is helping her to lead a normal life. Here's a career of which you can be proud, helping to bring human beings out of the shadows. Over time, the use of psychiatric drugs and electroshock therapy became entrenched. The idea of green therapy was lost. Then, in 1961, a Royal Commission found shocking evidence of cruelty, neglect and corruption. Callan Park had become shorthand for all that was bad in mental health care. It was the horror movie. We can actually see where the um, yard was, and it's still there. Exactly the way it was in 1973 when I was inpatient in this ward too. Peter Gray was a patient at Callan Park Hospital in 1973 and 1975. There were times where I could actually see out the window, maybe just see between the building and see the view right across the the bay. And it can be soothing, all right, it mightn't last long, but I still was able to have that time, even confined to this ward. When I first came here, the first part period I was here, you weren't allowed to be on the grass. 
I didn't allow it, and that was very strict, and that was really bad. Because Pat said I wanted to keep it in good condition. And then the nurse came up to me and said, no, not allowed to lie on the grass. And then, of course, that was it. Yeah, well, you have to do what you're told, though, didn't you? And really, I think that was still a good thing, though. They were still a deterrent. But then when I came here the second time in 1975, they relaxed the rules and you're allowed to lie on the, lay on the grass, which was a good... So the period when I was training, people thought medication was going to cure people. Jenna Bateman trained and worked as a mental health nurse at Callan Park Hospital in the 80s. Later, she became CEO of the peak body for mental health organisations in New South Wales. But certainly when you speak to anybody who was here, they remember the beautiful grounds and they remember being out and about in it and the water, the views of the water. It certainly had meaning for people who were here as patients. When I was allowed to, they used to let me out, especially maybe at lunchtime during the the week and and sometimes on the weekends of an afternoon, I used to be able to walk around, around the, the top here and down around the waterfront. Certainly made you feel alive. I've got to say, in my time as a nurse here, we used to take people for walks, but we didn't really connect it with a with the therapy other than getting a bit of exercise. It was, it was certainly a good setting, just the same, even though it was still like a prison setting. There wasn't that kind of connection to, uh, you know, being in nature would be good for people mentally and not just sitting in a room hoping the medication will work. Jenna Bateman loves Callan Park so much that she's a member of their bush care group and the community garden. I have been with Glover's Garden about um, about three years. I feel calmer, I think. I feel, I feel welcomed and engaged. Yeah, I'm very happy to be a member here. The Glover Street Garden at Callan Park is the oldest community garden in Sydney. Go in a west! When it was first set up in the 1980s by local residents, patients from Callan Park Hospital were members too and gardened regularly, like back in the old days. You can see we've got pumpkins growing up here, hiding um, underneath. This end of the garden is pretty much our orchard in, so that's a nectarine. Stephen Gillespie's the coordinator of the Glover Street Garden. A pear, there's citrus, there's a lemonade tree, a lime tree and a lemon. In the pot there, we've got a curry leaf tree. Today, locals like Kimmy and Emma like getting their hands dirty. I've been doing lots of stuff for the chickens because I'm the Minister of Chickens on the committee. I probably make it down three times a week, but sometimes one of those times will just be to put the girls to bed, the chickens, or to let them out. Oh, I love it. I could easily, like lose track of time here. It's kind of, you can just chill and not really have to worry about life. <laughs> yeah. My name is Kimi, and I like to say, yes, I like reading here in the garden, and reading is my meditation. Good for my mental health. Thank you. My name is Xiao Chi Feng, and you can call me Xiao. So I'm a associate professor in urban health and environment at UNSW School of Population Health. Zhao's been trying to answer a question that governments and policymakers kept on asking. They would like to know how much green space we need. 
at the time is like a million dollar question because who knows, right? Zhao now has the answer to that million dollar question. My research shows that if you live in a neighborhood with 30% of more tree canopies and green space, it's really good for your mental and physical health. So the science is in. 30% tree canopy and green space benefits our mental and physical health. And Zhao's research is shaping Sydney. City of Sydney, last year, 2021, they launched the policy about Sydney greening strategy. Uh, directly used my research evidence um, to make it so we make sure that there are 30% or more tree canopies and green space in Sydney. From our research, we find that if we could leave uh, 30% or more tree canopy and green space, it helped reduce loneliness, anxiety and depression. But here's the thing that Zhao points out. Not all green space is equal. Think back to when you were a kid. Was there a park that was always empty? Maybe the dunnies weren't clean. Maybe it had a creepy feeling and didn't feel safe. Maybe there was no shade and not much to do. Or maybe that metal slippery slide just burned your bum. Quality, I think, is very important, but how we define the quality, I mean, everyone have a different opinion about the quality. For example, if you're a dog lover, and if the park allow the dog off leash, you may think this is high quality to you. However, for the same reason, some people decide not going to this park and market as a low quality because they're scared about dog running around. All the parks are not the same. They're not equal and also not equal to everyone. Zhao says that while we all define the quality of a park in our own way, like, can I bring Stella there? In general, high-quality parks are safe, clean, have biodiversity and variety. You can do more than one thing there. Once you crack those criteria, the mental health of both kids and adults benefit. So we find that if women uh, who after give birth living in high-quality green space, they reduce the risk of developing postpartum depression by 26%. I think that's amazing, giving if we don't need to have to have the medication. And what we also find with a longitudinal study, what that means is you track the people over time, we find the children who always live with high-quality green space, not only at the start point, their mental health well-being is better than their peers who are living with low-quality green space, but over time, they have a lot of much better mental health. There is a big gap between the children who live with high-quality and low-quality green space regarding their mental health well-being. But why this may be the case is because you can imagine, like if you're kids or adult, if the park is low quality, why you would like to go there? And you don't feel safe, you don't feel there's much for your kids to play, so they don't use it, and then they can't get much benefit from it. And what does all this have to do with Callan Park? 
Zhao says Callan Park is a high-quality green space. It has a lot of variety and the biodiversity. So I think Callan Park is not only well-positioned, but they used the natural resource and well-designed. And people going there, they can do a lot of things, not just one thing. Based on Zhao's research, the natural landscape of Callan Park has a positive impact on mental health. And as First Nations people say, healthy country, healthy people. Nearly 150 years ago, this place was deliberately chosen to be a therapeutic landscape. And although Callan Park Hospital closed in 2008 after more royal commissions and deinstitutionalisation, mental health services still exist at Callan Park along with places like the Community Refugee Welcome Centre and Riding New South Wales. But a beautiful landscape, only six traffic lights from the CBD, it's valuable. The biggest pressures and the biggest dangers, really, that Callum Park has faced over the last four, four decades has been state governments of both political complexions. Both of them have tried to sell off large parts of uh, Cullen Park for residential development. Fortunately, the community has been able to fight back. So Friends of Cullen Park have been fighting for public open space and green spaces and for psychiatric services, first to be retained at Cullen Park and then to be reinstated at Cullen Park. Sometimes the debate was rather sharp because there was some, some stigma about Callum Park as a place of torture and neglect and mistreatment of people with mental health. And there was a great deal of that in the past. But, you know, on the other hand, there was also success stories. Council has surveyed local residents since 2001. And the people keep saying we want mental health services to stay at Callan Park. We are hoping that the government might see sense and introduce step-up services where people are building up to a, an acute episode and step down when they're released from an acute site. I just have to say, this is amazing. A community fighting to keep this beautiful park intact, not just for themselves, or me and my dog, but to share its therapeutic value with the people who really need it. So a big part of our membership is people who are mental health advocates, recovered patients, people who've got children or relatives who are mentally ill or have been mentally ill in the past. So, yeah, it, it's been a source of strength. And I think also it's given us a certain moral cachet. We're not just greedy kind of champagne socialists or nimbies or, or whatever, but we're people who, you know, recognise this place has got social function and we don't want it abandoned. I mean, people are coming here to play sport, People are walking through here. People are, you know, walking their dogs. It's good to have mental health services and people recovering from mental health conditions in the community. This place is in the community. Thank goodness for therapeutic, high-quality green spaces like Callan Park. But I have to say, every once in a while, I just have a bit of trouble getting off the couch and getting me some of that nature therapy. 
So Zhao Fang is here with some practical advice to finish this episode. So when we talk about, you know, nature prescription, to Australian, I think this may be a new concept. Other countries such as UK and Canada, they actually have very large-scale nature prescription. So what a nature prescription looks like? Okay, just getting my good pen to Ms Bernie Hobbs, Marrickville, from Dr Bernie Hobbs. Always wanted to be a doctor. Prescription, go to Callan Park, BYO Book, Blanket and Stella. Done. My nature prescription. Yes, it's a real thing. A doctor, psychologist or therapist prescribes time in a high-quality green space to help your mental health. Just like the early days of Callan Park Hospital and Broughton Hall. The community keeps fighting for Callan Park to continue as a site for mental health services and a high-quality green space for the public so we can all get our nature prescriptions filled. Our next Inner West icon is Bumali Aboriginal Artists Cooperative. The community can form an artist cooperative and you can take control. And everyone thought that was deadly. Inner West Icons is hosted by me, Bernie Hobbs. It's researched, written and produced by Jane Curtis. Sound engineering by John Jacobs. Special thanks for this episode to Rosalind Burge. Artwork by Dylan Tonkin. Editorial Brains Trust, Kate Lawrence. This podcast is made with support from Inner West Council's Community History and Heritage Program. <laughs>